chapter one, which I've been like kind of waiting to get to all year. Um, you know, we're in the Bible project. We read through the first five books so far um, of the Bible uh, this year. Let me get my notes up here, sorry. Um, we've read through the first five books, the Pentateuch it's called, you know, like the, the books um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, all the books that Moses wrote. And uh, last week we finished off the book of Deuteronomy and Moses dies and stuff I never even noticed really before. God goes and buries him, like incredible stuff happening in those last chapters. But now the Israelites are about to step into the promised land. And there was a sermon I heard back in January. A friend of mine sent it to me by a guy called Crawford Loritz, which was called The Call to Courage. And um, I don't know if you've ever had just a timely sermon in your life that you're like, you just know God is on this. Um, and so all year I've been excited about getting to Joshua when I could preach that sermon and pretend I wrote it myself. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to do that. But if you want to listen to that sermon, Google The Call to Courage by Crawford Loritz. And it's... Um, just inspirational. There's just so much in these in these beginning chapters. Um, but the Lord has been honored for us, honored for us as a church. Um, I'm going to say before, um, so I'm going to preach and then we're going to lead into communion. Um, and at the end then, the kids have been out in Sunday school every week, but they've been doing the story of when... Um, the, 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 the friends of the paralytic men, you know, they brought him to Jesus and lowered him down through the roof. And they've been thinking through what it looks like to, to love people in a way that brings them to Jesus, to do things for the needy, to do things for the broken, to help people out. And um, as an expression of that this morning, they wanted to like give us something, to be like givers in this service, like to come in and try and bless us in some way. So at the end, after communion, I'm going to preach, Gary will lead communion. They're going to come in and I think give us like just little packets of sweets or something, right? Just as an act of, they, like they want to be, like blessing given given into into us so can i just ask you even if you don't want sweets take them off them yeah like receive them from them uh like as that little step in them growing and uh and like participating in that stuff so just to put that out front um let me open up by just reading the scripture um before i even speak about it so um joshua chapter one says uh, after the death of moses the lord's servant the lord spoke to joshua son of Nun. he said moses moses assistant he said moses my servant is dead Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses." I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. So as I said, these are, these are the words of God to Joshua right before he leads them um, into, the, into the promised land. So this week we were in Joshua um, and we were in the book of Mark as well in the New Testament. We read a chapter of the Old Testament today, a chapter of the New Testament. Um, and can I just say at the outset, I know I always say this, I'm like a broken record, um, but if you're not in on the Bible project, hop in on it. 
Like, look at the last few verses of this here. Look at, like, speaking about... Sorry, go back a second, Malachi, just to that last one. Um, the last few verses. Study this book of construction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Who wants to prosper and succeed in what they do? Are you meditating on the law of the Lord day and night? Are you studying it? Are you obedient to it? What a promise, yeah? It's, it's there. Don't let, don't let this morning be the only time where you're sitting under the word of God. Like, God has given us his word. Like, how could we ignore it Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday? And, like, like study and meditate on it. Get with groups of brothers and sisters. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the Bible in as many translations as you could ever want. You have it in audio Bibles. You have it in video format. You have it in, in every, everything you could imagine. Yet somehow it just, like, sits gathering dust on the shelves or outside of our imagination, outside of our, outside of our um, participation with it. Can I encourage you to get involved in that? That's the key to success in those last few verses we read. But um, this passage is just so, it's just so rich and it just feels so timely. It's like the Israelites are on the verge of stepping into what they hadn't managed to do for 40 years. Yeah, Do we know the story? Moses leads them out of Egypt and they sin in the desert and so they wander until a generation has passed. And God has promised them, made them these promises, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you this expansive land, a fertile crescent. This will be yours. You'll enter into rest. And, uh, and none of them have managed to get there yet. Forty years later, a generation on, Moses dies. And God's like, now is the time. Joshua, I'll be with you the way I was with Moses. I'm commanding you to go over and lead these people into the promised land. And as I prayed and waited on God this week, from the million sermons I could preach out of this, um, I felt the Lord would want to say to, to each of you, Um, to us as a church. Be bold and courageous. Have confident trust in me. Step out in obedience and you'll experience what I've promised you. Be bold and courageous. Have confident trust in me. Step out in obedience and you'll experience what I have promised you. That's what I believe is on the Lord's heart. And Lord, if everyone detunes even after this point, I pray that they heard those lines. I believe that's what your heart is to say. Be bold and courageous. Have confident trust in me. Step out in obedience. And I will lead you into what I've promised you. Amen. What I want to do is like, it's almost like do sermon, sermon backwards, right? Imagine a little like preacher's format. Here's, here's, here's the format I usually follow in preaching. Show what God wants for you. Yeah, like hold it out to you from scripture. Make you want it as well. Then show you how it's impossible to do it, right? Because we're powerless to do it. Then show you how Jesus has already done it for you. And then hopefully lead you into a place of wonder and worship in Jesus where from the inside out he transforms your heart and you get to do the thing that I held out to you in the first place, right? So usually I'm preaching something, I'm preaching something, and then we get to Jesus as the payoff, how Jesus is the real fulfillment of it and always leading into there. That's as well why we do communion straight after sermons. So for if at any point a preacher or, or whoever it is doesn't get to that point, still we get to scripture and we're like, none of this happens without without Jesus, yeah? None of this is fulfilled without, without Jesus when we come to communion on his table and we're reminded of the cross. That's why we, we follow through with that stuff. But what I want to do is start with the Jesus stuff so that you know that this is for you. You know, this isn't just like some Old Testament scripture, just some story out there and you kind of detach. Well, that was good for the Israelites. I haven't been wandering around in a desert. I don't need to like fight a battle to take any land. That's not really relevant to me or you just allegorize it or whatever. I want to show you that uh, get to the Jesus stuff <laughs> straight away. So what we have going on here is we have, we have Joshua standing in front of the Jordan River and about to cross it and being given a command because God's heart for his people is that he would lead them into rest. God's heart for his people is that they would know him, that they would be people who live according to his commandments and get to visibly like represent on earth what heaven would look like. 
because they've chosen obedience to him. And he's like, Joshua, I've chosen you as the guy to, to lead them into this. So what's that got to do with Jesus? Well, this week as well, we were in, the, in Mark, and uh, on the same day, actually, I think they were in Joshua 1, we're in Mark 1, and it says this, at this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John, where? In the, in the Jordan, in the Jordan River, right where Joshua was standing now, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. There's an intentional overlapping of the stories here. There's an intentional, Jesus getting baptized of all places in the Jordan River. There's an intentional picture to draw our minds back to that story of Joshua and the Israelites crossing over the Jordan into the promised land, taking that step of faith in. The first clue we get that they're meant to be connected is that, do you know that Joshua and Jesus are the same name? They're actually both the name Yeshua, so Jesus is like a Greek interpretation of it. Joshua sounds closer to the Hebrew Yeshua, but they're the exact, they're the exact same name. Jesus would have been called Yeshua, Joshua was called Yeshua, neither of them. They weren't anglicized or Greek versions of them at the time. They're the same name. Jesus, Yeshua literally means God saves. Yah, Yahweh, Shua, saves. That's his name. So God chose this guy, Joshua, Yahweh saves, and uses him to bring people into the promised land. And then Jesus comes and takes the same name God saves and we have this picture the second picture is that Joshua's on the banks of the Jordan and later on chapter 2 chapter 3 he steps in and they bring the ark of the covenant the thing that holds the presence of the Lord and they bring it through the Jordan river out to the other side and now we see later Jesus stepping into the same river and being being baptized to show that Jesus is the true and better Joshua And Jesus leaves filled with the Holy Spirit. So the presence of God goes through with the Ark of the Covenant. But then the New Testament, we have the Spirit descending like a dove. We have the Son like in the water, like receiving the Spirit. And we have the Father speaking from heaven. This is my Son who I'm well pleased. The very presence of God embodied in Jesus, demonstrated in the flowing of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Father in the middle of that river, Jordan. It's intentional here. God is showing that Jesus, the true leader of God's people, is initiating a new conquest. When he steps out of the Jordan River, his point is to step out of it to lead his people into the promised land, into the promises of God in a fuller and more complete way than Joshua did, in a way that extends to us today and the potential we have in Christ to come into the experience of living in the promises of God. Jesus conquers, or yeah, not just, not just human enemies like Joshua was going to conquer, Jesus conquers the enemy. He defeats them on the cross. Jesus conquers sin itself. Jesus even defeats death being raised from the dead. Not just human enemies, but spiritual enemies. You have a leader in Jesus who's passed not just through the Jordan, but through death itself. That's why Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? What's a baptism a symbol of? Death and resurrection. In the middle of the Jordan River, this poignant place, this place of history, this place where it was like a step of faith into the things of God, Jesus represents, I'm going to die I want to be rose again so that you can enter the promises of God. That's what we remember when we're baptized. We identify with his death and with his resurrection. He's showing us how it's going to come, how the battle would be won, how sin would be defeated, how we'd be united in him. So Jesus just doesn't bring us into a place of physical rest like the Israelites were promised, like rest from our wanderings, but into, into spiritual rest, into completeness, into wholeness. It connects us with the Father in a way that gives rest to our souls, guys, not just rest to our, our bodies. So we have 
Jesus and Joshua the same name, we have this intentional Jordan River uh, like parallel to show this, like to see what's happening here. There's a promise on the other side. Jesus is the true Joshua. And then, if it wasn't clear enough, there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. It's just the, the letter to the Hebrews. And it's just one big long sermon. And that sermon in Hebrews, we read it a few weeks ago. It's just about how Jesus is greater than everything that's come before. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, the priest that Abraham gave offerings to. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Joshua. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than everything that had come. But in Hebrews chapter 4, he specifically talks about how Jesus is the greater version of, of Joshua. And his, his, his message to us is this. He's like, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness. He's like, today, strive to enter the rest of God. He's like, he's, he's, he's adamant to say, look, look at that story. Don't just look at that story and see that as fulfilled. Like Joshua stepped in and then that's, that's that story done. He's like, no, there remains a greater rest of God for the people of God on this side of Jesus, living and dying and raising from the dead and awaiting his return. There remains a rest for you to enter into today. So as we consider this story, guys, this is why I wanted to front load this. I don't want you to detach from it and just think it was for them. I want you to know that this story is for you even in a greater way than it was for those guys. Because we live on this side of the cross. When we hear it, it shouldn't feel like faded or distant. But standing on the other side of the cross, we should know that it was ever possible. If it was ever possible to enter into the promises and the rest of God, it's now. Are you with me? So remember, here's what the Lord has put in my heart for you. Be bold and courageous, have confident trust in me. Step out in obedience and you'll experience what I've promised you. Be bold and courageous. I don't know if you, um, well, if you flick back even to just that, that Joshua thing, and if you scan down through it, guys, you'll see three different times here and once more in the same chapter, God repeats himself to Joshua. Be bold and courageous. Be very bold and courageous. Be bold and courageous. And then the people echo it back to Joshua at the end of the chapter. We'll follow you. Just be bold and courageous. Echoing what? What God has said. Three times he repeats himself to Joshua for emphasis. You're going to need to be bold and to be courageous to step into the promises of God. And that promises for us as well. But what does it take? It takes for us to be bold and courageous that God would say that same thing to us. And if you look through the, Old Te- the New Testament, it's repeated in greater, in greater measure. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, Therefore, since we have such hope, again, he's comparing like the old glory of, of what people had to what we have after Jesus. He says, since we have such hope, since our hope is so much greater on the other side of Jesus, he says, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. And we know it goes on to say, no, we beholden the likeness of the Son are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So he's like, we are very bold. What we have is greater in every way and God calls us to even greater boldness and greater glory. All through Acts, when I did a word search on it, probably the most common adverb used to, to describe the action of the apostles and the early Christians was that they preached with boldness. You see it all the time. And they proclaimed boldly wherever they went the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they preached with boldness. Paul at the end of Ephesians like, is like, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. They saw this boldness, this moving forward as like part of what it means to be a Christian, to be bold and to be courageous. That's what we're meant to be. Faith-filled, spirit-filled people. That should be a characteristic of what it means to be a Christian. Not a person who hangs back, but a person who's bold and a person who's courageous and moves forward. If God could command Joshua to be bold and courageous based on his promises, how much more would he say to our hearts today, now that we have the Holy Spirit living in us? 
Like the audacity of that statement. There's some people who didn't have the Holy Spirit living. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. How much more would God say? Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. 2 Timothy 1, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God has given us his spirit, and it's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power, love, and of self-control. Later on in Hebrews it says, We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And we need Christians who step up to that. Like people, people shouldn't be looking around like wimpy Christians. You know, like looking around like lame Christians, like just hanging around, drinking diluted orange and eating digestive biscuits, whatever it was. You know, I'm not kind of phase of Christianity. It's like we should be the bold and courageous people, inspiring people to great things. People who believe for better, the people who are willing to fight, the people who are fighting not just for ourselves but for others, the people who are going after the things of God, people who are ambitious, who are taking steps of faith that look crazy to the world, but then seeing God come through. Be bold and courageous, church. Be bold. Don't be those who shrink back. The Bible's told you, you're not those who shrink back and are afraid. Where have we shrunk back? Where have we not pressed forward? Where are we like, have we heard the call of God and just kind of ignored it? Put it on the back burner, the convictions we've had. You know, the things that God has told us, this is important, this way to live. And then, you know, we just left and went for lunch after service and then just forgot about it. Where are we just being apathetic? Where are we just floating through, looking the same as the rest of the world? Be bold and courageous. What were the moments of ambition that you had in God that then just got swallowed up by life that you just forgot about? Or you yielded to what was going on rather than yielding to the Holy Spirit? Where have you been where you know what he's wanted for you and haven't gone after it? Haven't chased it down? Haven't pursued it? Haven't gone out like with, it, with intent? It's to be bold and courageous. The guys are standing on the side of the river. They're not going to get to the other side hanging out. Having meetings or whatever. Like, it's like, like, be bold and courageous. Take the step. Do it. I'm called to boldness. Even as I write my notes, when I put headings in, I, like, I underline them and then command and B in my computer bolds them so they stand out to me. It's like, like if you're bold, you're meant to stand out. Where have you backed off and just wanted to blend in? When Jesus called you to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden, when Jesus said you're the light of the world, do you believe that or are you like, yeah, well, yeah, whatever? Like, are you standing out? Are you bold? You're meant to be a light that shines in the darkness. Be bold and courageous. Are you courageous? Have you let fear hold you back? Afraid of what people think, afraid of failing, afraid of stepping out and looking like a dope, afraid of, afraid of not being equipped, afraid of not being ready, afraid God won't come true. Be bold and courageous. Have confident trust in me. God says this to Joshua and to you. He says, I promise to you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I've given you. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I've given you. Say it again. Wherever you set your foot. Do you see our action in that? Wherever you set your foot. Do you see that there's a step forward necessary? Wherever you step your foot, you will be on land that I've given you. From the Negev in the south, to the Lebanon in the north, and the Euphrates in the east, Mediterranean in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Listen to this. Verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. Let me say that again. I will be with you. God will be with you. 
Wherever you go and set your foot, you'll be on land I've given you. I will be with you. Next line. I will not fail you or abandon you. Man, what could ever hold us back if we actually believe that? Wherever you set your foot, you'll be on land I've given you. I will be with you. I won't fail you. I won't abandon you. And we know that's not just promises for them. Like in the little scripture, search in your brain, you know, like God has promised the same things in the New Testament. After Jesus has come, I will never leave you nor forsake you, yeah? Like, like I am with you to the end of the age. comes with a command to go and make disciples like that. I'm with you. God is with you, so go. Wherever you set your foot, you'll be on land I've given you. That's our part of the call. There's this call to movement, to our active participation in what God has called us to do. And the truth is, guys, it's in the step of faith. It doesn't come before the step of faith. It's experienced in it. The rest of God, the promises of God, don't come on the easy side of the, of the Jordan. They come as we step in faith into it. It's this principle that's true in Scripture that your growth in your life as a Christian is connected to your obedience to God. You might be like, yeah, obviously, Rob. How am I going to grow if I'm not obedient to God? But I don't just mean like obedience to God as in, you know, ticking off all the boxes. I mean, like some of us sit around thinking, well, look, when I'm equipped in this way or if I had X person's gifts or if I was in that position, I would step in like this. Now, God is saying, you grow in me as you're obedient to what I've called you to do. You feel like you can't do X, Y, or Z. So you won't know you're able to do X, Y, or Z until you step into it. Wherever you step, you're going to be on land that I've given you. I'm with you to the end of the age. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I won't abandon you. I will enable you to do what I've called you. Have you ever not taken a step because you thought you weren't ready? Have you ever felt not doing what God has called you to because you felt you couldn't? What I'm trying to say is don't, um, you don't get ready before you go. It's as you go that God enables you. You grow as you step out in obedience. I can't share my faith with whatever. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to say. Sometimes preachers get up and they're like, go and love your neighbors, tell them about Jesus. I can't do that. How would I know what to say? I can't. I can't. We need to ask yourself, is it really I can't or I won't? <laughs> Do you really believe that God wouldn't equip you to share your faith with your neighbors if you stepped out and wanted to do it? I can't forgive. Can't or won't. Do you really believe that Jesus would tell you to forgive those who sinned against you and not enable you to forgive them if you stepped out to do it? It's in the step. But meanwhile, we stay back in the fear. I can't do that. The thoughts of that, that seems too big. And this mightn't be the promises that you thought I was going to think about. Maybe you thought the promises I was going to talk about are like, you know, all the great stuff. I'm going to experience this. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be whatever. Oh, there's this connection between obedience to God and the promises of God. And I've become convinced in these last, this last week or two as I studied it that obedience to what God has commanded us is an experience of the promises of God. And I'll expand on that as I go, but it is. The joy of actually doing it, like of stepping out into it, is what it means to step into some of the rest and fullness. Wherever you set your foot, you'll be on land I've given you. But yet we say, I can't, whatever. Insert something you know Jesus has asked you to do. I can't love my enemies. I can't make amends with that person. I can't preach the gospel. I can't make disciples. I can't love my brothers and sisters in Christ I love myself. I can't have joy in every circumstance. I constantly speak in something that's the opposite of what we know God has, has said. What's God do when he's, like, when he's sending Joshua into the promised land? He's like, remember to obey everything that I've given you. Like, remember to obey these commandments as you step in and I'll be with you. Keep the law in front of you. Meditate in the day and know you'll be, be obedient to it. Remember that? It's like, it's like contingent on it as you step in in obedience that we get to experience the rest of God.
Now those things mightn't sound like rest to you. As I start to list out those things, you'd be like, all right, Rob, I thought you would actually talk about rest like relaxation, like putting my feet up in a bath full of radox or whatever. That's the rest. That's the rest I want in God, yeah? Can you, can you say some words or sing some songs and then all of a sudden I'll feel like at peace and restful? And I think when we think of it in that way, we're missing out on what God really has for us. And in, in Joshua, when we go on in verse 12, you've got that slide map. Um, there were some tribes that were staying on the far side of the Jordan, the Trans-Jordan Jordan tribes that Moses had given permission to, and they'd already settled. And, uh, but Joshua was going to them, and he's like, right, look, lads, you, your, part, your brothers and sisters are stepping over into the land God has given them. You need to come and fight with us. So he goes to make that plea to them. Uh, but the language of it is interesting. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He told them, remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God has given you a place of rest. A place of rest. He has given you this land. Your wives, children, and livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River, but your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest as he has given you rest and until they too possess the land your Lord your God has given them. Only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. They answered Joshua, we'll do whatever you command us. We'll go wherever you send us. We'll obey you just as we obeyed Moses. May the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders does not obey your word and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. They echo what God has already said to Joshua. Said it to him three times personally, then it comes echoed from the people. You know, people need you to be what God has called you to be. There's people on the other side of you being or being. People need, people need you to be what God has called you to be. That's not my sermon, but it's another sermon. But the language that stood out to me there as I read it was like rest. Like, so the guys were at rest. Like, so, but you picture when they go over into the, when they go over into the, into the, the land God has given, right? They're going to have to start farming it. They're going to have to, like, grow, like, like, there's work involved in that, let alone a battle to even get there, but it's described as, like, entering, like, into rest. And maybe the obvious thing is, like, they've been wandering around in the wilderness and it's, like, like restless people, like, for a generation. And now you're going into a place where you can be established. And, and there. But then in Hebrews 4, if you get a chance to read it, where I told you that, it's like Jesus is the greater whatever, like, listing thing after thing, where it comes to the Joshua thing, he talks about a rest that we can enter into. He's like, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I've had a kind of narrow view of that where I've practiced this Sabbath thing and it's my unwinding and it's like my switching off from the thing. And that's like part of, of what my weekly pattern looks like. And that's great, right? But I think God isn't just interested in like a Sabbath rest as in a day, a week where you switch off. He's like, he wants us to enter into a life of rest. And if you think about a Garden of Eden stuff, you know, we've talked about this before, but, but God rests on the seventh day. That's the first day of humanity. Like their first experience of life is God at rest and he gives them work to do. But it's not like the work is the opposite of, of rest. It's like work is an expression of that, of that rest. I think we're used to seeing rest as the thing we do when we just stop work. But, but what if like rest is more expansive? It speaks like about knowing that you're walking in purpose. Like, like knowing, like being satisfied with the things that I did today were the things that I was put on this planet to do today. That satisfaction, see, the world gives us a million things to do and none of it, none of it gives us, gives us rest. Like it may give like, I don't know. Here's Holy Spirit, I need you to leave me in this because I feel, 
So as I wrote, as I wrote my notes, I felt like on the edge of something that God wanted to say. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that even if I don't manage to say it in words, that you would say it to our hearts. In Jesus' name. That God wants you to enter, enter into rest. But the way to enter into it is, is obedience. Like rest is the sole satisfaction of knowing that you're, you're right with God. And of your, like your actions following that reality of becoming more like Jesus in delighting in him. See, when I say, like, love your neighbors, like when we, when we start talking about the commands of Jesus, all of a sudden that sounds like work to us. It sounds like, oh, don't be asking me to do extra stuff. Do you not know what my life is like? Like mental busy. But what are we busy with? Are you busy with things that matter for eternity? Are you busy with stuff? Like, are we storing up for ourselves treasures on earth? Like, think of all the things Jesus said. Are you worrying about tomorrow when he commands us not to? Seeking after the kingdom of God. Seeking a first priority. Like, God wants you to enter into to rest. And as I, as I thought about it, like, as I, as, as, as I thought about when, he, when, he, when he's leading these people, he's like, his heart in saying, obey all the commands isn't like, about putting religion on us. Are you with me? It's not about putting rules on us. It's not about putting some measuring stick. He's like, I want to lead you into what I've promised you. And what's God doing in the middle of that? He's redeeming humanity, right? So he's like, humanity is functioning in a broken, sinful state where we're searching in all sorts of places for what only I can give you, the deep-seated satisfaction of your soul. And maybe you search for it in work and achievement, or maybe you search for it in sex and pleasure and cheap relationships, and maybe you search for it in, in money, or maybe you search for it in, in comfort and, and, and whatever, but like none of it is going to, none of it's going to satisfy your soul. None of it. So God takes these people and he commands them, like all the commands we read, like exhaustive throughout, like those five books of Moses. But what is he doing? He's like saying, I want like a colony of heaven and earth, a people who will exist in a way where they love one another, a way that they were meant to function. And then he does the same to a greater extent through Jesus and through the church. He's like, he's like, oh man, just the picture of it, right? right? Sometimes we think, you know, like get through this life and then go to heaven. But like what's... Like, what is heaven? We have this picture of heaven as like some rest floating around on a cloud. No picture of that in the, in the Bible at all, of heaven being like that. Heaven is the restoration. Like when heaven and earth are joined together, when Jesus returns and lives bodily on the earth and rules the earth, that's what we believe as Christians is going to happen. There'll be work. We'll have great things to do, but work will have been redeemed to the extent that it's an expression of worship and fullness and wonder and love for the Lord and love for others. When God commands you, love me with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, what's he saying? He's saying, this is what the coming kingdom looks like. Because that's what you would describe. If I, if I said, if there's 8 billion people on the world right now, right? And all of a sudden, they began to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And every single one of them began to love their neighbor as they love themselves rather than, than looking selfishly. What would happen to the world? That would look like heaven, yeah? Like, that's what Jesus is saying. Like, when I come, this is the way it's going to be. But you're the people who get to choose it now. You're the people who get to model it now. You're the people who get to live in that way now. So when I command you to love your neighbors and it sounds like extra stuff to do. No, I'm, 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 this is what you're going to do in eternity. This is what you're made for. Like, it's, it's almost like we see, obey the commands of God to get the promises of God, right? But do we not see that living by the commands of God are the promise of God? You with me? Like living in a space where we love, where what we do matters, where we're loved by the Lord every day, where we forgive. Like they are the promise. Life in that is the promise of God. That's what life looks like in eternity under the rule of Jesus. 
And we need to switch off from like God is some boss waiting to see, you know, because that's the way the world functions. Do your work and get your wages, yeah? But here's how, how God functions. It's like, like your, your wages are your, are your work. Like I'm with you in all of this as you step out in this. You could put your head on the pillow tonight and not be frustrated with your day. But no, man, I love walked according to the purposes of God today. I did what I was put on this planet to do today. The world will just make you busy with crap that doesn't get anywhere. Promises stuff, but doesn't do what it says on the tin. Just have some more money, I'll feel great. Have some more approval, I'll feel great. Never-ending cycle, yeah? Like diminishing returns. God offers you soul satisfaction. And how we step into it is by being obedient. I ain't to snap out church and thinking that Jesus has commanded us to do stuff to make us miserable. Like, why? Like, is that who Jesus is? And I don't know whether we're just ingrained in religion or something to like, like it feels dour and it feels like controlling and it feels whatever. And when we talk about Jesus commanding us to do stuff, all of a sudden we back off. What he's saying is, I want you to be who I made you to be. You were made to love me with all your heart. You were made to reflect that love to the world around you. You were made to work in a way that participates with the redemption of the world. That, 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 that cultural mandate to like be fruitful and multiply, subdue, subdue the earth and fill it. It's like, that's this gift I have given you. And we're like, oh no, I don't want to obey the Lord. The Lord talks to us around like his design for marriage and his design for, for sex and his design for these things. And we back off and like, no, I just prefer to do to do it my way. Do you not know how good Jesus is? Do you know what he wants to lead you into? The Lord talks to us about forgiving. I'm like, I know I can't, can't forgive. I forgive to get away with it. I can't. Do you not know how good Jesus is? Do you not know what's on the other side of that forgiveness for you? Do you not know that that invitation is to mirror the heart of your Father, to look like the Lord as you do it? God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. Oh, that verse is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. Well, sometimes we're flowing around thinking, nah, man, maybe, maybe I'll get serious in the future and follow Jesus and that, but there's going to be a big cost. Yeah, there's a cost. But the cost is like the man who sells everything he has to buy the field because he knows there's a treasure buried in it. Because what you get is so much better than what it could ever cost you. But we step in through obedience. I read in a commentary this week, a guy said this, no one can enter into true rest except the one in whom the word of God has taken full control in every part of his experience. No one can enter into true rest except the one in whom the word of God has taken full control in every part of his experience. Church, be bold and courageous. Have confident trust in God. Step out in obedience and you'll experience what he's promised you. Can I call you to just wholehearted obedience to God. Like, what if we could be that church? What if we could be that people? Like, wholehearted, not divided hearted, not, like, what if we could actually be that church? The people who do it, who are willing to step out and do it, who are obedient to his word, to all that Jesus has asked of us. And that's the encouragement at the end of Joshua 1. I'm going to finish, finish there. I don't know, I started with it, but... Um, you look back to either, either the last slide, Mal, or the first one. Um, yeah, verse 7, near the end. Be strong and very, o- yeah. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate in them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything, in everything you do. 
Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Wondering why you're not succeeding, wondering why you're restless, wondering why you're, not str- why you're struggling. How's your relationship with the word, guys? Simplest thing. You know, sometimes I feel like, like I said at the beginning, a broken record of like, you know, come in on the Bible project, come in the Bible project. I'm not trying to make some project work. I got numbers signed up to something. Like, the heart behind that is that is that you become the people who God has made you to be. I want to see you bold and courageous, on fire for God, looking more like Jesus today than you did yesterday, finding victory over sin, rejoicing and joyful in the Lord, regardless of circumstances aligned with God's purposes, alive in the Holy Spirit, moving forward, demonstrating heaven's rule in your life, an ambassador of the kingdom of God, growing in faith, more faith-filled tomorrow than you were today, and the day after that than you were even tomorrow, growing from glory to glory. That's some of the fullness of the rest that God has you in and and he said like meditate on my word here's how you get like put yourself in the way of knowing what's what's on his heart some of the things we need to be bold and courageous in like are just things that probably we just rather not do but he's like no be bold and courageous in these things step in and believe i would want to do this in there as you're reading the word this week i hope that you read it and like you're like you read some line and you're like man that doesn't that doesn't describe where i'm at and i hope like the lord like like just well, well, do you want to be there? Be bold and courageous. Let's step out together and do it. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, but be committed to it. A Bible project is one like aspect of that, but what we're doing, where we're going as a church, I told you I felt this was instrumental for us as a church, as I read back in Joshua, which is a different sermon, but um, at the beginning of the year. But that God is calling us over this past year, two years, to be like just serious about, because you know what I've commanded you. Are you going to do it or not? You know what I've asked of you? Are you going to do it or, or not? Are you going to be like my people or not? That's what some of the Bible project is about. Like God has said, meditate on the word day or night. So are we going to align ourselves like, like structurally as a church, put ourselves in the way of this is what we do. This is what we're committed to. And I believe over the next year or so, we're going to make some bold and courageous steps, even in how we're structured and what we do, the ways that we gather as a church, because we want to be aligned with what Jesus has commanded us to do. And I feel that we're entering into that season almost like we've had a, like a Deuteronomy kind of year or two where what happens in Deuteronomy, Moses like recaps everything that God has said, right? There's a reminder, here's, where he's, here's what he said, like meditate on this stuff. They're geared up in it. And now it's like now knowing what he said, here's the time to step into what, what he said. And I believe there's a stepping in that's going to happen over, over, the, next, over the next months. Um, in October, we're going to take five weeks to focus on five key values um, start in October. Five key values as a church. And not just in some like corporate exercise of here's the values and mission statements, blah blah But here's, here's five things that God has commanded us to do. Are we going to be that church? We can be. Like if we're bold and we're courageous. Isn't it? If we step in. God has great things for you. He has great things for you. Like the call to Joshua in the first verse is like, He's calling Joshua. See, I used to read that and I'd read it just as a leadership text and I'd read it as a leader, like, you know, be like Joshua. But you see, the only reason for a Joshua was that God had promises on his people. That's the only... He's like, Joshua, I've called you because I want to bring people into the land that I've promised you. And as we make these moves as a church, the heart is this. It's not like about being successful, not about leadership, not about whatever. Because if it's not through me or Noel or whoever, God will just use the next person. Yeah, that's what he does. 
Why? Because God loves you and he has plans and purposes for you as his people. And what we want to be serious about is what are the steps of obedience to be the people who step into them. And uh, I, for one, am determined to be that with the grace and the help of God. Fully dependent on, on Jesus. Fully dependent on his Holy Spirit. And my prayer for you, even as you've listened this morning, is that, um, is that you would be bold and courageous. That you would hear the voice of God saying, have confident trust in me. Step out in obedience and I will bring you into, into all that I have promised you. In Jesus' name.